So anyway, uh, welcome tonight. Glad you're here. This is part two of our study on the wilderness tabernacle. And we're going to take up what we left off from last week. Let's begin with prayer and ask God he will give us understanding and help us to apply anything we learn about the tabernacle to our lives tonight. Dear Father, thank you for our study tonight of the tabernacle, a, uh, a, a diagram, a actually truthful thing that you gave to Moses that he built in the wilderness that the, was used by the Israelites to worship you. I pray that you would guide us now, give us understanding, and help us have a great time studying uh, the wilderness tabernacle. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, we're going to begin. This, the first part is not your notes. If you want them, you let me know, and I'll give that to you next week. I put that in there this afternoon. Uh, the construction of the tabernacle. First of all, God was the architect. He was the one who designed it, and he gave Moses the design of it on the mount, a Sinai. When Moses went on Mount Sinai, he was up there for 40 days. Remember that? Why he was up there getting the law of God, the Ten Commandments, God also gave him the diagram, the uh, uh, to the tabernacle. So God is one who designed this. Number two, Moses was the construction boss. Once it was given to him, he gave the directions to uh, the Israelites, and he was made sure it was built to the design that God gave him. The builders were the children of Israel. Remember the people, uh, when you go to the right, you can go to the next one. The materials used came from a free will offering. So the, the uh, material as well as the builders were people who volunteered their time to build the tabernacle that God designed and gave the design to Moses. So God was the architect. Construction boss was Moses. Builders were the children of Israel. And the materials came from free will offering. I'm just reminded, I'm going to cut off my phone. So if you haven't already, I encourage you to do the same. <laughs> I felt it vibrating. Interesting, I think I shared with you a few uh, weeks back, I have my, always have my cell phone right here in my pocket of my uh, coat, and I felt it vibrating. I thought I was, my uh, uh, pacemaker was going off, because <laughs> my pacemaker is a combination of pacemaker and defibrillator, and, and defibrillator, it will uh, shock me back if it, my heart quits. And I asked my doctor, how would I know if it's working? He said, you would know, because it would... It'd be like a horse kicking you in the chest. So if I fly across the room, you'll know what, <laughs> what happened. But I pray that doesn't happen. So, uh, so far, I had not had any issues with it whatsoever. All right, in the tabernacle, again, this is not in your notes either. Uh, just to help you understand, several things. Gold in the tabernacle represents deity. Now, there's quite a few of these. Again, I can print these out for you next week. I did this this afternoon before, after I printed out the notes for you. So if you want these, I'll be happy to. Gold in the tabernacle represents the deity of Christ. Silver is, represents redemption. We're going to see that today and some of the construction of the uh, fence around the uh, tabernacle. They use silver to do so. Brass represents judgment. The two... Uh, the Brazen altar and the brazen laver are made of brass. We're going to explain to you why later on. So gold represents deity. Silver represents redemption. Brass represents judgment. The next one, blue, represents heaven. Remember the, one of the materials that got, they used to build the veil was blue, and it represents heaven. Purple represents royalty. We're going to see that the uh, veil was made of different colors. And so much of the tabernacle is actually a picture or a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. The next one, scarlet, represents sacrifice. Scarlet is the color of blood, represents sacrifice. And again, these three colors we use to build the material, to build the tent and the, uh, around the tabernacle and also the veil within the tabernacle. The next fine linen, which is white, represents righteousness. We're going to see fine linen and brass and silver in our study here tonight. These materials used to build the parts, the first several pieces of furniture. Next, goat's hair represents atonement. 
that was used again to build the tent, the tabernacle tent. Was, they used goat hair to do that. Am I going too fast? Are you trying to write this down? You probably don't have space on your notes, maybe the back of one of the pages. Ram's hair also, excuse me, not ram's hair, ram's skin represents atonement also. So we're going to see later on when God gave instruction to build the uh, tent, the layers of uh, material over the tent itself, he told me to use goat's hair and ram skin to do this. The wood to build much of the furniture was called shittim wood, which was more importantly acacia. We're more familiar with that. Represents the humanity of Christ. The wood, acacia wood, represents the humanity of Christ. You're going to see that again in our study tonight. And oil represents the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that in the uh, lamp with inside the tabernacle tent. The burn constantly and the oil that provided the uh, light, the flame and the uh, lamp represents the Holy Spirit of God. All right, do you have all that? All right. So, last week we looked at number one, we looked at the introduction of the tabernacle. Hopefully you have the notes for that. We saw that last uh, Wednesday night. We covered so much on the introduction. Tonight, we're going to actually look at the courtyard of the tabernacle. We're going to focus on that this evening and the pieces of furniture within the courtyard. Next Wednesday night, we're going to look at the holy place. We're talk, uh, the first part of the uh, tabernacle tent. And the following Wednesday night, we're going to look at the most holy. It's also called the Holy of Holies. That's where they kept the Ark of the Covenant. That would be our fourth study. And lastly, we're going to look at the high priest himself. How he was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. So tonight, we're going to look at, if we look at it as a diagram, I'm going to use my little laser light here over to your left. This is the fence, the court fence around the tabernacle. Tonight, we're going to look at the gate, the brazen, the, uh, the bronze altar, and the bronze laver. This is what is called the courtyard we're going to look at tonight. Then next week, we're going to begin talking about the tabernacle tent. The first part here was referred to as the holy place, and the second part, divided by the veil, referred to the holy of holies. Here is a, a diagram of that. This is the tabernacle tent. When they went in, on the left-hand side, they saw the golden lampstand. On the right-hand side, they saw the table of showbread. Directly in front of them was the altar of incense. Then this was the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy of the holy holies. Within that was the Ark of the Covenant. That's where God uh, uh, dwelt, was inside there. And only the high priest could go into the Holy Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. And so we're going to talk about this area next week. And the following Wednesday, we're going to talk about the Holy of Holies. So let's begin. We're going to look at, that, look at these four pieces here. The gate of the court, the court fence, the bronze altar, and the bronze labor. We're going to look at each one of those tonight in our study of the tabernacles. Let's begin. Oh, I, I found this. You know, the Bible in the book of Hebrews refers to this diagram as the shadow of things to come. If you notice the, how it's laid out within the tabernacle, it's a picture of a cross. At the bottom is the brazen altar. We're going to look at that tonight. Represents justification. As you walk forward, then you come to the brass laver. That represents the sanctification of the believer. Then once you go into the tabernacle tent to the left, was the golden candlestick that represents the union that the believer has with Christ. To the right was the table of showbread that represents the communion we have with the Lord Jesus. And directly in front was the altar of incense, represents intercession, the prayers of the believer. Then once through the veil, you have the Ark of the Covenant, represents satisfaction. So the way that laid out, the book of Hebrews says it's a shadow of things to come, the cross. And actually how it was laid out, uh, it pictures the cross that Lord Jesus Christ died on. That's not in your notes either, if you notice that. So the rest of it will be. The gate. 
when you approach this uh, tabernacle, the first thing you came to was the gate. You have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus, please. Exodus 27. Exodus chapter 27. Some of the verses we'll have on the screen, some verses I like to look at together in your Bibles. If you did not bring a Bible, there should be one there in the rack of the chair in front of you. Exodus chapter 27. Look with me in verse 16. Does she need notes? They're right up here if you want to come get them. You should get the three, top three pages there. It should say, court. You're not, do you need a notebook? No, do you need a notebook? Yes or no? You do? Okay. The notebook. Now you need to come back and get the notes too. <laughs> Maybe, uh, Larry, would you come get it for please? That The notes in that are from last week. He's going to give you notes for this week. I put the answers in there for you so you don't have to. <laughs> That's a freebie. <laughs> and here's the notes for tonight. So Exodus chapter 27, will please look with me in verse 16. He actually gives instruction here, verse 16. And for the gate of the court shall be the hanging of 20 cubits of blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen uh, wrought with needlework and the, the pillars shall be four and the sockets four. And the 38 says the same thing as that. But here's instruction here of the gate, how big it should be. So again, here's the diagram. When you approach the tabernacle, the first thing you came to is the gate, which is right here. And here's another picture of it. If you notice, this is the picture that's at the very beginning. Here's actually a picture of the tabernacle. Tonight, we're going to look at the fence tonight. Here's the gate. When an uh, Israelite came to approach the tabernacle, they would come to the gate. They would have an animal, animal to sacrifice for their sins. They would come into the gate. There would be a priest with inside. This is called the courtyard right here. Inside the courtyard, a priest would receive their animal, and they would take the animal and sacrifice it on the brazen altar right here we're going to look at tonight. And that uh, represented the sacrifice for their sin. That sacrificed animal was, it would make an atonement for their sin, and then they would leave. And the next piece of furniture we're going to look at tonight. Once they went from there, it's called the brass laver. We're going to look at that tonight. So this is called the courtyard we're going to look at this evening. The gate, the fence, the brazen altar, and the brass laver we're going to look at this evening. So the gate was the entrance and the court was made with, this gate was made with hanging curtains we saw there in Exodus 27, blue, purple, and scarlet. Remember, blue represents heaven, purple royalty, and scarlet represents sacrifice. So the curtain itself represented so much uh, that was important for the believer. Four pillars of brass was used to build this gate. Sockets of bronze. The sockets refer to the base of the pole, the pillars. The poles, the pillars of brass, the sockets are the Base, the foundation for those uh, pillars were also made of brass. Anybody remember what brass represents? Judgment, exactly. We're going to see more of that in a moment. And then the hooks, they hung on the, uh, the, the linen with, the, the gate with, was a silver, the tops of the pillars. So we're going to refer more to that in this moment. So this is the entrance, the gate, the hanging curtains, four pillars of brass, Sockets of bronze and hooks of silver to make up this curtain, the gate which they entered the tabernacle with. The gate to the courtyard measured 20 cubits wide and 5 cubits high. A cubit means 30 feet wide and 7 and a half feet tall. 30 feet wide and 7 and a half feet tall. Uh, I'm looking forward to if we go see that replica to see if it's, the dimensions are right. Did they supposed to be correct? 
Okay, that'd be exciting. The gate separated sinful people from a magnificent and holy God. The gate separated, because within the gate, within the tabernacle, the, in the tabernacle tent was where God dwelt, the gate separated sinful people from a magnificent and holy God. God, God could only be approached with a blood sacrifice. When the people came inside the gate, they had to come with an animal to sacrifice to shed his blood for the forgiveness, for the atonement for their sin. God only could be approached with a blood sacrifice. Let me ask you a question to test your Bible knowledge. What person in the Bible, who first made a, a sacrifice? Who was the first one to sacrifice an animal? God did, exactly. When did God do that? I'm glad you asked. You got your Bibles? Let's look at it together, please. It'd be in Genesis chapter 2, I believe it is. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, if you have that, it'll be easy to find. Genesis chapter 2. This is, chapter 2 deals with the fall of Adam and Eve. Remember, Satan tempted them. God told Adam and Eve they could freely eat of any tree of the garden, but only one prohibition, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of all the trees they could eat, they chose the one they could not eat. <laughs> and when they did so, they disobeyed God, and they fell into sin. And as a result, look in verse 6, please. I'm probably verse 7. It's a chapter 2, verse, chapter 3, I'm sorry, chapter 3. Did I tell you chapter 2 or chapter 3? Forgive me. Chapter 3. The first few uh, verses deal with the fall. But look in verse 7. It says, And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And notice what they did. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They realized that they were unacceptable in their appearance before God. And they sewed fig leaves together to cover their body. And so if you read with me all the way down to, uh, let me find it here. Verse 21. Verse 21. The clothing that they made to God was unacceptable. In verse 21, look what it said. Unto Adam also and his wife did the Lord make coats of skins and clothe them. And so he took an animal and sacrificed it and used the skins of the animal to clothe them. And so basically they wanted to approach God their own way and by the works of their hands they put together a some kind of apron of clothing by the leaves of a tree. And God was teaching them through the sacrifice of the animal, the only way you could approach me is through a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. So God shed the blood of an animal and clothe them with the skins of that animal. And teaching them the only way to approach a holy God, now that you're sinful, is through a blood sacrifice. Now, in chapter 4, we have Adam and Eve uh, have children. And I want you to notice they're, they're called Cain and Abel. And if you would look with me in verse 3, the two children now is going to make a, sac a sacrifice to God. Chapter 4, verse 3. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain, in fact, back up in verse 2, and she again bare his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of the sheep. He was a shepherd. And Cain, verse 2, that apart, was a tiller of the ground. He was a farmer. So one was a shepherd, one was a farmer. In verse 3, in the process of time, that Cain, the farmer, brought the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord. In other words, he brought the works of his hand. Because the chapter before this, God cursed the ground because of the fall of man. He says in the, the curse of the ground that by the sweat of your brow, you have to bring forth anything from the ground. And they bring thorns and thistles. So basically, he evidently planted some plant, plants and had to do so very, by works. And he takes the fruit of his labors and brings them and offers them to God for the sacrifice for his sin. 
But look in verse 5. But Cain and his offering, uh, I'm sorry, verse 4. I'm getting ahead of myself. And Abel, he also brought the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, verse 5. But unto Cain and his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. It's believed that evidently, remember, God told Adam and Eve, the way you approach me now that your sins is through a blood sacrifice. And it's their responsibility to teach that to the children. And so both of them now approach God with a sacrifice. But the one Cain offered was the works of his hands. Here we see the first religion is being established of salvation by works. He took the works of his hand, the crops he had planted by the sweat of his brow, and he brought the fruit of that to God as a sacrifice. But Abel brought a what? An animal sacrifice and shed the blood. And the Bible says unto Abel's offering he had respect, unto Cain he had not respect. God accepted the offering of Abel because it was a blood sacrifice, but the offering of Cain he rejected because he was offering the works of his hand. So many religions today base salvation and forgiveness on the works of man. How many religions do you know that people offer up their good works, the things they do in life, as a means to enter heaven? And God rejected that, the very first establishment of Adam and Eve. They clothed themselves with fig leaves. God rejected that. And God himself sacrificed an animal and clothed them by the skins of that animal, showing them the only way you can approach me as holy God is by a blood sacrifice. And now the children of Adam and Eve offer sacrifice. One was the crops, the works of the hands. Other was a blood sacrifice. God re rejected Cain's and accepted Abel's. Now, today, as we approach the Holy God, do we come through a blood sacrifice or the works of our hands? A blood sacrifice. Whose sacrifice? The sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross to pay for our sin, he shed his precious blood. In the Old Testament, I'm going to show you, the animals that they offered, they come to the a tabernacle, offered up a sacrifice, and uh, uh, the blood sacrifice, and the Bible says the blood of the animal shall be an atonement for your soul. The word atonement means covering. The bloods of bulls and goats can never take away sin, only cover their sin. But you remember what John the Baptist said when he followed Jesus Christ? When Jesus Christ came on the scene, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. So the animal sacrifice only covered their sin. The blood of Christ washed it away. And the blood sacrifice in the Old Testament was just a picture, a type of the Lord Jesus. But Jesus Christ was the supreme sacrifice. So, number four, God could only be approached with a blood sacrifice taught all the way back to Adam even today. And we approach God, God now through the sacrifice that Christ made once and for all on the cross of Calvary. We're going to look at that in a few moments. Jesus referred to himself as the gate or the door. Anyone who enters through Jesus will receive eternal life. John 10 verse 9. The verse is on the screen. I believe it's also in your notes. John 10, 9, Jesus said, I am the what? The door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and go out and find pasture. So Jesus Christ was likening him unto the gate of the tabernacle, that he's the door of heaven through him. Jesus Christ said in John uh, 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, the life, no man comes to the Father but by what? By me. So he is the door to heaven. Just like the gate was the entrance to the tabernacle, Jesus Christ is the entrance into heaven. Because remember, the tabernacle was made after the pattern of heaven. Now the court fence. The second look at the court fence itself that surrounded the uh, tabernacle. Here's the diagram again. We looked at, first of all, the gate here. But now we're going to get the fence itself that went all the way around the whole tabernacle. Here's a picture of it again. We're looking at the fence itself. We're going to look at what it's made of. Here's the gate we first looked at, entrance into the tabernacle, and here 
into the courtyard, excuse me, and the fence that covered that big fence. We're going to see also is seven and a half feet tall, thereby nobody can see in it. It was tall enough that you can, all you can see was the fence. The court fence was the outer border of the tabernacle site. The outer border, which you can see in that picture, the outer border of the tabernacle site. It consisted of the following. First of all, linens, curtains, probably white, fine linen. Now remember the color of the fence, probably white. Get a chance, you can look up the verses there. The pillars, the sockets, the hooks, the fillets, tops of the rods, the pillars, talking about the posts, the sockets, the foundations of the post, the hooks, uh, talking about the pins uh, for the uh, pillars and the fillets, we're talking about the rings that held the, uh, tent, the linen up on the fence up on the post. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 27. The pens of bronze and brass. Okay, let's move on. Here we go. To look at the measurements here. Am I going too fast? I think that part was already written out for you. The measurements of the court. 100 cubits long means 150 feet long. 50 cubits wide, that means 75 feet wide. So here we see here. Here's the fence around it. It was 50 cubits. It means it was 75 feet wide and 100 cubits, 150 feet long. That was the distance of this fence around the, which encompassed the courtyard and the tabernacle tent itself. And it was five cubits, which means it was seven and a half feet tall. The court fence was fine linen, hanging on brass poles by silver hooks. Anybody remember what fine linen represents? Righteousness. How about what does brass represent? Judgment. And what does silver represent? Redemption. Now, how does this, a type of Christ? Read on. The fence represents Jesus, the righteous one who is judged in our place by hanging on the cross for our redemption. So the fence itself was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because remember, it was fine linen hanging on brass poles by silver hooks. Fine linen righteousness, brass judgment, silver redemption. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the fine linen, was judged, talking about the brass, in our place by hanging on the cross for our redemption. It was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. This was not in your notes. Was this in your notes? It was not. Okay, I'll give you a few moments to write that down. Or if you prefer, let me know, I could print this out for you next week. As we go through this, you're going to find there's so much of it that was a type of picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, can I go ahead and go on? Next, once you approached, you went through the gate. The first thing you saw right before you was the brass or the brazen altar. This is where they sacrificed the animals the Israelites brought to make atonement for their sins. In fact, uh, go with me to Exodus, please. Let's look at that together. Exodus chapter 27. Exodus chapter 27, please. Verses 1 through 8. Again, these instructions that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. Exodus 27 and verse 1. And thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood, that's acacia wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad, the altar shall be four square. The height thereof shall be three cubits. I'll give you the dimension of that in a few moments. And thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof, 
His horn shall be the same. Thou shalt overlay it with brass. Thou shalt make it his pans to receive the, his ashes, his shovels, and his basin, his flesh hooks, his fire and his fire pans. All the vessels thereof shall be made of brass. These instruments they use to to lay the uh, sacrifice on the altar. Verse four. And thou shalt make the grate of the network of brass. That's the bottom of the of the altar. Upon the net shall thou shalt make four brazen rings and the four uh, corners thereof. And thou shalt put it under the compass of the altar beneath that the net may be there in the midst of the altar. And thou shalt make staves, thou might poles for the altar, staves of shittim, cacia wood, overlay them on brass. And the staves, talking about the poles, shall be put into the rings and the staves shall be upon the two sides of the altar to bear it. Hollow with boards shalt thou make it. And it, and it said it was showed unto thee in the mount, so shall make it. Again, referring to it, it was given to them on Mount Sinai. And it shall make it. Make it after the pattern that God gave them on Mount Sinai. Again, here's a diagram of the uh, whole tabernacle. This represents the fence. Here's the gate. The first thing you went in, you saw the brass altar. That's the first thing you saw. When the Israelite came in with an animal, it brought them to this brazen altar to make a sacrifice for the atonement of their souls. Here again is the picture we saw earlier. And by the way, this picture is in this nice little pamphlet you have here too. I'll give you at the end. So here's the gate. When you walk in, here is the brazen altar where they offered up the sacrifice uh, of animals for the sins of the people. The bronze altar was made of shittim or acacia wood. Anybody remember what acacia wood represents? The humanity of Christ. Remember that. The humanity of Christ. The altar was square, perfectly square, covered with bronze brass. Remember what brass represents? Judgment. So the wood, the, the, the wood itself was acacia wood, and the altar was overlaid with, it was overlaid with brass. The four corners of the altar had horns overlaid with bronze. And usually the words underline are blanks on your sheet. The bronze altar was made of shittim or acacia wood. The altar was square and covered with bronze, to my brass. And uh, each corner, the four corners of the altar, had horns overlaid also with brass. Here's a picture of it. Offering up a sacrifice. The bronze grate, come at the bottom of this altar, with bronze ring on each corner was put under the bronze altar. That catches all the wood and, and uh, that was used to burn the, uh, the sacrifice, the coals. Hollow staves, about the poles, the carrion poles, made of shittim or kinsha wood and covered with bronze used to carry the altar. These notes are, are in your notes, aren't they? These words. Again, here is the altar. Here's the measurements. Five cubits long, seven and a half feet long. Five cubits wide, seven and a half feet wide. It was a perfect square. And three cubits of four and a half feet high. Again, if you notice that, remember the whole thing was made of wood overlaid with bronze and these poles here also were made to be able to carry it. I bet it was kind of heavy. But remember, as they wandered through the wilderness, the priests had to carry this thing. <laughs> and of course, this was the grate inside which they laid the wood to burn the sacrifice, the animals, as a sacrifice for the sins. An animal sacrifice was necessary for forgiveness. The blood of the animal was important to justify people before God. The Bible says, the New Testament, without the shedding of blood, there is no what? No forgiveness. That was taught over and over again by the sacrifice. They evidently sacrificed 
thousands of animals. And you think about this. How many Jews uh, came out of Egypt and wandered through the wilderness? Anybody know? There are over two million of them. And if each one of them brought a sacrifice, that's a lot of animals. <laughs> and so there was probably sacrifice going on all day long for the sins of the people of Israel. And, and uh, interesting, uh, you talk to an Orthodox Jew today, you know how they sacrificed the animal? How they killed the lamb? We're going to show you a few moments. The lamb they killed had to be perfect without sin and without any blemish. And what they would do, they would grab the hair on the chin of the lamb, pull it up, and a sharp knife would just go. They'd slit his throat. And when that happened, those of you that ever go hunting, what would happen? Blood would go everywhere. They'd cut that main artery, and the blood would just pour out. And, of course, the priest would get a basin and receive the blood, and they used that blood to sprinkle upon the altar. And so uh, they, the uh, Israelites realized that it was that blood sacrifice, bloody sacrifice that was, was atonement for their souls. Interesting. If you read much about uh, liberal scholars, liberal scholars, you know what a liberal is? liberal pastor, liberal scholar, is someone who knows what the Bible says but does not believe what it says. They try to uh, do away with miracles, and many of them will call Christianity, uh, they call it the slaughterhouse religion. Because you read in the Old Testament, they constantly slaughtered animals, killed animals and shed their blood. And the blood, the shedding of blood was represented of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ shed his blood. So they uh, make fun of Christianity because they refer to it as a bloody religion. And by the way, it is a bloody religion. We're saved by the shedding of blood. Not ours, hallelujah, but the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. A proper sacrifice was an animal that was what? Perfect and not flawed. Why? Why did they have uh, find a perfect animal? Have you ever thought about this? If you were a shepherd and you had to sacrifice animals for your family and for your sins, generally you'd probably want to keep the best ones and sacrifice the, the bad ones. But they had to sacrifice the best ones. They had to find a, a lamb that was perfect without any flaws. Why? I'm glad you asked. Look with me now to First Peter, please. First Peter in your Bible. Why do the animals have to be perfect and not flawed? 1 Peter chapter 1. Because the animals were a picture, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look with me in verse 18. 1 Peter 1 verse 18. Talks about our redemption, our salvation. 1 Peter 1 18. It says, for as much as you know that you are not redeemed, it means you're not purchased with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your father. In other words, you can't buy your way to heaven. You can't purchase your salvation by silver and gold. But verse 19, but with the what? The precious blood of Christ. Notice here, as a lamb without what? Spot and without blemish. So these Old Testament sacrifices that they offer had to be a perfect animal without any blemish or spot and because it was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's no wonder when John the Baptist saw Jesus said, Behold the Lamb of God which take away the sins of the world. Sin was serious. Only shed blood which stands for life could pay for sin. Only shed blood. He taught that when he sacrificed an animal to cover them with new clothing. Only blood, which stands for life, could pay for sin. Whose blood paid for our sin? The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He fulfilled all the what the Old Testament sacrifice pictured. And it says, by laying his hand on the, the sinner, laying his hand on the person identified with the animal sacrifice. Basically, as a sinner, he laid his hand upon the perfect animal 
He identified himself with the animal. This animal is dying in my stead. As the Israelite, the one who sinned, he's the one who should have died. He's the one who broke God's law's commandments. And so he brought a substitute to die in his place, the animal. And when the animal was laid on the altar, after he slit his throat, the sinner would lay his hand on the animal to identify with the sacrifice. This animal is dying in my stead. He's dying in my place. How many grateful the Lord Jesus Christ died in your stead and died in your place to pay for your sin? The blood of animals made the people of Israel clean and forgiven, but notice here, temporarily. The blood of the animals, the perfect sacrifice they brought to the priest, the sacrificed animal, made them clean and forgiven temporarily. Again, you got your Bibles, go with me now to Hebrews chapter 10. Let me explain to you why. Hebrews chapter 10. The blood of these animals were an atonement for the soul of these Israelites, the sinner. But Hebrews chapter 10, please. It makes a statement here we need, need to understand about the Old Testament sacrifice. Though they, many of them were killed, and they had to be killed these animals to be forgiven. Chapter 10, Hebrews 10, verse 4, look what it says. The writer of Hebrews said, It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away what? Remember, it was an atonement, a covering. It did not take away their sin. It only covered their sin. Skip down to verse 11, please. It said, Every priest standeth daily ministering offering, oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never what? Take away sins. But verse 12, But this man, talking about the man Christ Jesus, after he offered how many sacrifices? One sacrifice forever sat down on the right hand of God. Interesting. Think about it. Every time an Israelite committed a certain kind of sin, they had to get another animal, go to the altar and sacrifice. Because that sacrifice only covered their past sin. And so they had that sacrifice over and over again. But Jesus Christ offered how many sacrifices? One. Because his sacrifice didn't cover not only our past sin, our present sin, but also our future sin. His sacrifice covered all sin. How many are grateful for that? You know, it's interesting. I had a person some time ago who did not believe what I just told you. He said, I do not understand. I do not believe that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross paid for my future sins. It only paid for my past sins. I, I said, why do you believe that? And he said, how could Jesus Christ die for sins I haven't committed yet? You ever thought about that? Your future sins. And the answer is very simply. How many of your sins are future when you died on the cross? All of them. You weren't even born yet. That happened 2,000 years ago he died. When he hung on the cross, the Bible says God took the sins of all the world. That includes yours and mine. My past, present, future, all my sin, and laid them on Christ. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his way, but the Lord laid upon him what? The iniquity of us all. So there on the cross, he died to pay for all of our sin. The Bible says Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. And his death makes believers clean forever. Not temporarily, but forever. In the Old Testament there, the sacrificed animal brought forgiveness temporary for that present sin. And then he had duty bring another sacrifice for the next time he sinned. Makes, but Jesus Christ was once and for all before God. The brazen altar was made of acacia wood, covered with brass, on which animals were sacrificed for the Israelite sins. This is not in your notes, is it? Look at it on the screen, please. The brazen altar was made of what kind of wood? Acacia wood covered with brass, 
which animals were sacrificed for the Israelite sin. Now remember this. Acacia wood represents what? Humanity of Christ. Brass represents what? Judgment. The brazen altar was a type of the cross on which Jesus Christ was sacrificed and judged for our sins. The brazen altar was a type of the cross on which Jesus Christ was sacrificed and judged for our sins. When John the Baptist saw Jesus approaching, informed the people that Jesus is the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. John 1.29. Next, the next piece of furniture. Once you went in the gate, the first thing you saw was the brazen altar. The next thing you saw was the bronze or the brass laver. Again, here's the diagram. Here's the fence around the tabernacle. When you first came in, you saw, which is covered by this picture here, with the brazen altar. The next you saw the brass laver, which this represents before they could go into the tabernacle tent. Here it is, a better picture of it. Here's the gate. Here's the fence. Here's the brazen altar where they sacrificed animals. After the priest did that, next they'd come to, only the priest could do this, they come to the uh, brass laver, which is full of water, and there they had washed their hands and feet before they could go into the tabernacle tent. They had to wash their hands and feet before they could go and do service inside the tabernacle itself. Let's go through this quickly. The bronze laver and its bronze stand were made of the mirrors, polished brass, of the women who served at the entrance of the tent meeting. So the women brought mirrors. They didn't have mirrors like we have today. They were made of brass that was very polished. And it was used, this brass, polished brass, to make this bronze labor. You can look it up in Exodus 38, verse 8. The exact size of the bronze labor is not described. We don't know why that, but it's not given in Scripture. The bronze labor was located between the bronze altar and the tabernacle tent. The bronze labor we're looking at now is located between the bronze altar where they offered up the animals and the tabernacle tent itself. The bronze laver was used for ceremonial washing where they washed their hands and feet before they could go into the tabernacle tent to do service to the Lord. Am I going too fast? I, how many, am I, am I, you got it? Should I back up? Okay. I backed up. Okay. <laughs> please, if I go too fast, please say something. I want you to get this down. Number one, the bronze laver is, its bronze stand were made of mirrors, polished brass. There's the blank there. And down at the bottom, the bronze laver is located between the bronze altar, the brass altar, which where they offered up animals, and the tabernacle tent. You got that? All right. The bronze laver was used for ceremonial washing. Priests bathed their entire body when they were ordained. You can read about that in Exodus 29. They covered, washed their whole, whole body when they were ordained as a priest. The priests had to wash their hands and their feet every time they entered the tabernacle tent to minister or they would die. That's pretty important, is it not? So when they offered up the animal sacrifice on the bronze uh, altar, before they could go in the tabernacle tent, they had to wash their hands and feet. Exodus 30 said if they did not, they were struck dead. I don't know about you, I had to wash my hands and feet, wouldn't you? <laughs> God took this very, very seriously. But anyway, you see the diagram up here. Here's the fence. When you, here's the gate. When you first walk in, here's the bronze altar where they offered up animal sacrifices. The next thing you saw was the brass laver, and they had to wash their hands before they could enter the tabernacle tent. I'll show you another picture of that in a moment. The laver was made of brass filled with water to cleanse the hands and feet of the priests so they may serve in the holy place. Talking about inside the tabernacle tent. 
the labor was a type of Christ, and the water was a type of the Word of God. Let me say that again. I'll read it again. The labor was made of brass filled with water to cleanse the hands and feet of the priests so they could serve in the holy place inside the tabernacle tent. The labor itself was a type of Christ, and the water was a type of the Word of God. Look at what the Scripture says here in Ephesians. Christ also loved us, loved the church, and gave himself for it, that we might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. Do you remember the diagram of the uh, furniture that pictured the cross? It's a shadow of things to come. You might remember what the brazen altar represent justification of the sinner. The brass labor represented what? the sanctification of the sinner. And it says here that he might be sanctified and cleansed with the washing of the water of the word. Here he is done here, and we are done for tonight. It's time for us to quit. Next week, we're going to look at these five things. The, uh, talking about the holy place. Remember, the holy place was the first compartment they went in the tabernacle tent. Inside there, they saw the golden lampstand, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and the veil. We're going to cover that next Wednesday night. So uh, if you did not get your answers, maybe you can find someone else. Uh, Brother Phil, you out there? Did he leave already? All right. That means you can't have your thing tonight. I'm sorry, you can't. Uh, Patrick, would you come, please? pass those out. I tell you, once you stand at the door and as they leave, they can grab one. How's that? Unless they want to get something, put it in the notebook. Would you want them now? Okay. Pardon me? Good idea. Okay. Just go in the door. Again, this is for those of you that are planning to take the rest of the class. Again, they cost five. If you say, Pastor, I like one of those myself, uh, but I won't take the class. You can get these off of Amazon and they'll come in two days. I've got 50 of them from Amazon and so you can go in there and type it in. You'll find it. But anyway, uh, everything that's on the screen, on the PowerPoint, is on here. And so uh, I think you'll enjoy it tremendously. And so let's pray. And uh, inside your notebook, there are little slots. On the inside of the covers, you can put this inside there and keep it with you, okay? Thank you for coming. Thank you for your uh, attention. I realize they, this can get dry just giving you facts. And especially on a Wednesday night when some of you work so hard, you come in, you'd, you'd rather be at home in your easy chair. You came tonight. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Let's bow together. Father in heaven, as we study the tabernacle, we realize so much of it talks about our precious, wonderful Lord Jesus Christ. And each part of it was a picture type of him. And Father, how the animal sacrifices, the offered up for the atonement for the souls of sinners. Jesus Christ was our sacrifice. And he offered himself on the cross and shed his precious blood that we might receive forgiveness and eternal life. Thank you that he's the door to heaven, the entrance to heaven, and the very way to heaven. In Christ's name we pray, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. Hope to see you Sunday and also next week.